First and foremost, I want everybody to take a deep breath and relax, okay? I feel like my eyes sticking to one side of my brain and shit. You know what I mean? Go to bed, Okay, my name is Taylor Dunn. Y'all keep it going. You are now listening to the Mac Daddy Seminar, motherfucker. <laughs> What's cracking, pimps? What's going on? And welcome to episode 43 of the Mac Daddy Seminar. As always, I'm your host, Taylor Dunn, and let's just go ahead and tell everybody, if you're not watching the audio, I hate to break it to you, but if you're watching the video podcast, you'll see that I got a little bit of that mustache action going on. Is it November yet? No. Do I need it to be November to grow out a mustache? Absolutely not. If you don't like it, I don't give a fuck. And that's pretty much what I've been saying to everybody that's had some little comment to make about it. Look, my wife likes it, okay? If my old lady likes it, then that's that's what we're doing, okay? So enough about that. Um, I appreciate everybody listening to the last episode when I have Jeff Glass on. That was a lot of fun sitting down talking with him. And in the spirit of things, we're going to keep the ball rolling with another interview. Today, my guest is a person that I actually went to boot camp with back in 2014. He's in the Navy. And not only is he in the Navy, he's also a rapper. He has lots of music out there, a lot of stuff on iTunes, on Spotify. You can go listen to his brand new album. It just came out a couple of months ago. It's called Hail King Emery. And that's streaming right now on iTunes and Spotify. So without any further ado, my guest today is King Emery. It's great having you on here. I'm glad I kindly, finally got to sit down and talk to you. Um, so for those of you that don't know, uh, would you like to kind of explain to everybody how we met? Oh, yeah. So pretty much we met um, boot camp. I met him in boot camp. You know, I was... Uh, so you want me to start from the beginning again, or you can if you want to, man. Like, all right, yeah. So I was going through some some things or whatever in my neighborhood or whatever, and only the best way to get out, I was joining the military and shit. You know, one of my homies, I was supposed to go up there with one of my homies, but he ended up not even joining. And I had a boot camp day, so I was just like, fuck it. So I ended up going to boot camp or whatever, and then I met. One of the funniest people in the comedic world right now. One of the funniest people I know personally. So, yeah, I just met him in boot camp. We didn't, like, you know, have, like, a close relationship throughout boot camp. But, you know, and then we just recently kind of, like, rekindled the friendship after meeting a mutual friend, which is JD. That's in my current command right now. Yeah, that's it's wild. Like, I feel like it was so long ago, and in a way it kind of was. I mean, it's coming up on six years, but, yeah. you know, we both got to boot camp in October of 2014, and uh, I just remember it was so damn cold, and that was the farthest north I'd really gone in, like, a long time. I'd gone to New York once when I was, like, 11. Yeah. And then before that, you know, I'd just grown up in Alabama – where, you know, it don't really get that cold. And then I get up to Chicago, and it is freezing outside. Yeah. So that was I like a big shock for me. Yeah, I remember that morning in particular. It was raining, it was pouring down rain. I was like, what the fuck did I get myself into? I had never even, like, joined, like, no ROTC or nothing like that in school or nothing like this. So I was just pretty much off the streets to the military. So it was just kind of like a weird transition when I did join or whatever. That was kind of the same thing that was going on with me. Like I had graduated in 2012 and I spent like two years just hanging out in my hometown, you know, hanging out with the wrong people and just doing shit that I shouldn't have been doing. And eventually it just got to a point where I was like, look, I need to make some type of change. I want to travel. I want to make an honest living for myself. Like this just ain't going to work. So that's when I started yeah. looking into joining the military. I actually spent like a year 
trying to join the Air Force, but I couldn't yeah. because I had a misdemeanor on my record. And they took that shit way, way too serious. And I wrote like an essay like five or six times about why they should let me in and all this stuff. And then every time I would, you know, I would get a big, like they'd be like, all right, now we need your high school diploma. So I'd go get it, bring it back. Okay, now we need your medical records. And I'd go and get it and all this stuff would happen. And it just made it to the point to where like I was just collecting a stack of paperwork in the back of my car. So yeah. eventually I was like, look, y'all are wasting my time. I'm trying to join the military today and y'all yeah. are, you know, slowing me down. Well, lo and behold, I was just like, look, I'm going to go talk to another branch. And, you know, I looked at the Marine Corps, I looked at the Army, and I looked at the Navy, and I really didn't care for joining the, for joining the uh, Army. But when it came, like, it came down to the Marine Corps or the Navy, and I was like, all right, I'm going to try the Navy first. And they just, you know, talked about stuff that appealed to me. Yeah. But it was still tricky right there towards the end because they were like, oh, we can't get your court documents. So I was like, well, look, the Marine Corps said they got me. So either I'm going to MEPS today with y'all yeah. or I'm walking next door and I'm going to be in the Marines. And then you know how it went from there because, you know, I'm still in the Navy to this day. But yeah, boot camp was yeah, my... probably – oh, go ahead, man. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say my shit was kind of similar to that. I was just kind of like, you know, they were asking for a lot of information. And they found out late, like, that I had asthma and shit. So they were debating. Like, they kept telling me, um, calling me, asking me for documents and all this other stuff. So I'm thinking they're not going to even let me in. So one day the dude was like, okay, we can get you a waiver. I didn't even know what the fuck a waiver was. He was like, yeah, we can get you a waiver. We can get you in there with your asthma. You know, like. We we trying to work with you and da da da. So I'm like, okay. So he was like, yeah. First thing we need you take this practice asthma. So I'm like, okay. I go in there. I didn't think much of it. I didn't even think I was going to end up passing the practice one. So passed the practice one that same day. They took me to take the actual. No, they set up a day. My bad. They set up a day for me to take the actual one, which was like probably the next day or next two days or something like that. Then we go up there and we, I do the ASVAB and I wasn't thinking nothing of it. And I didn't even know how to read the, the, you know, bottom line, the paper or whatever. Mm -hmm. I scored like a 61. So I'm like, oh yeah, you passed. You can, you can go to MEPS and all this other stuff. So within like a week, I already have my like boot camp day. Meanwhile, the homie that I was supposed to join with, he couldn't even fucking pass the practice one. So I was just like, all right, well, I'm out. Join when you. Well, you can pass, and then he never even ended up joining. But he's still back in Dallas as we speak. That's what's so as crazy. Thinking about the people <laughs> yeah. that like, like that you met in like MEPS or something like that, or you met like in boot camp that end up getting asthmaed and pushed yeah. back. It's like, damn. And then you'll look on Facebook to see like what they're doing now, and they're not in the military. This is like, <laughs> what happened to them? Yeah, that shit crazy. Dog, whenever I felt like boot camp was the funniest shit I had ever done up until that point. Yeah, like it the was. whole time we were all just dying laughing every day. Yeah. Like of course the first couple of weeks are probably the most stressful. And it's not because like they're really PT in you that hard or anything like that. It's just, you know, you've got to get used to the swing of things like waking up real early and putting your uniform on real quick and all that shit. But after a while, once everybody starts to get to know each other, cause you know, for the people that don't know, you don't have a phone or anything like that. Yeah. You have no contact with the outside world. All you you're in a room confined to just 80 strangers and you have you know, you're learning about them and talking to them about where they came from and learning about their background. And it's so funny because you're all trying to make it through this similar thing. Yeah. And like, I remember they started taking out everybody's uh, wisdom teeth. Luckily, I'd already gotten mine removed. Yeah. And 
that shit was so funny because they'd tell those people, hey, you're on bed rest for like two days. And they would just be up in their rack trying to sleep. And the, you know, RDCs and shit would be screaming at the top of their lungs. And I would just be laughing, thinking about, man, those motherfuckers aren't getting any sleep. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I had to get mine pulled. I had all four of mine. I had never got a wisdom tooth pulled out. And luckily, they only pulled out two at the time. They pulled out two. Man, I was in so much, I was in so much motherfucking pain. Man, man, RDC screaming and yelling at people, PTN people, and I'm just laying up in the top right, like, damn, this shit trash as fuck. But it was a it was a cool transition though. I think I became a better person being in the military than who I was before I joined. I, I know a lot of people way. don't don't admit that because you know I was doing what I was doing before I joined, and for me to be thrown in that environment. And, you know, being able to, I won't say I caught on quick and I changed my mentality quick, but I, it was relatively quick compared to like other people that I usually like, you know, see getting kicked out of boot camp or kicked out of Navy. So yeah, that was a big, big transition for me. Yeah. I feel the same way. Like, like, I feel like it really helped me like turn into a man almost. Because, you know, I didn't know anything about how to manage money. I didn't know anything about, like, you know, how to buy a house or, you know, pay rent or pay my bills on time. That was the main thing that drew me into joining the military. And then, you know, I get in and, you know, before I joined, I was working two jobs seven days a week. And now I'm in the military and it's just like I'm used to the waking up early and, having to go 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 all day but now i'm off on the weekends so from boot camp as soon as you get out of boot camp you go to a school where you're off on the weekends and i was like this is the easiest shit i've ever done (laughs) yeah and i was telling my wife because i was married whenever i came in and she would come visit me while i was in a school she was just like you know i she was like you know are you liking it and i was like this is the easiest job i've ever had like i wake up go to school for a couple of hours a day and it's not hard because the instructors damn near give you the answers. And then, you know, you take a test at the end of the week and then you're off on the weekends. Like I was like, it doesn't get any better than that. And I'm making three times the amount of money that I was before. Same. Yeah, that shit. It It was cool for me. That shit was cool. So, so I remember seeing you in A school. I know you were you were undes when you got to boot camp, right? Nah, I end up I was already LS, but I ended up getting the hell back like a week or two. Oh, it yeah. took me some time to pass the swim. I got you. Yeah, that shit was that shit was tough, but because I, I remember mean, when it, you got to A school, I remember seeing yeah. you. I was like, oh shit, you know, like you passed yeah. your swim because I remember that was a problem for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Mostly the uh, African American people. <laughs> I mean, I didn't I want to really, come right out and say it. But. Yeah, it was like eight, eight or nine of us, and we just kept going every day. Like, I think like twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening. Yeah, I remember when I tell too. you, I was freaking out when I jumped off that tower the first time, dude. I was like, the next time I jump off this tower, bro, I'm not feeling this shit, bro. Do you the very remember? Next time, do you remember Igbunu? Oh, yeah. That motherfucker was hilarious. Dog. <laughs> he was funny as fuck, and I've never seen a human being run as fast as he could in my life. Yeah. Like, he was from, I think he man. said he was he was from, like, Ethiopia or something originally. But he yeah. was extremely educated. Like, he had gone to university after university. He had his master's degree. And then he moved yeah. to the States. He actually lived in Alabama. So that's why me and him kind of hit it off because, you know, he knew all about Roll Tide and War Eagle and all that. So we would always, you know, get under each other's skin with that shit. And I remember when we did that run, that motherfucker didn't even look like his feet were touching the ground. <laughs> I'm like telling he, you, man, them Africans, they got some type of speed, man. I don't he, know. It was just a whole nother ball game when it came to running. Cause everybody, you know, when you're not used to running like that 
and you get to boot camp, it can be kind of challenging to run a mile and a half in under, you know, 12 minutes or, you know, 13 minutes. And I remember the first run that we did where it was like an actual PRT test. I, I failed it by like 30 seconds. Yeah. But I remember watching him run that shit and he did that shit in like sub eight, like seven (laughs) minutes, 30 seconds. And he was like, that shit is easy. Yeah. <laughs> that he murdered that run. Else. But that's the terrible thing is he couldn't swim to save his life. Oh my God. It was like like you wanted to laugh, but you didn't want to laugh every time this motherfucker touched the water, bro. I don't know what it was, but this motherfucker would start freaking the fuck out. Yeah, he, like, I remember watching him jump off that tower and it looked like he was fighting a bunch of ghosts when he got in the pool. <laughs> oh like he just like he he couldn't wrap his head around how to stay above the water. He just did like that and sunk straight yeah. to the bottom. I was like, God damn! And yeah. he just he couldn't get it, man. I feel bad for him because I mean he would yeah. he would have done well in the Navy as smart as he was. Should he probably be at least a first class by now? Yeah, he definitely would. I hate he, it for him. Yeah. So you so you get out of A school right boot camp and all that so where do you go after a school yeah so after a school i was assigned to uh the dewey which is a ship down here in san diego it's a ddg you know it was my first time being on the ship so i'm looking around i'm like oh this shit kind of cool whatever i'm on a warship you know they hype you up like you on a warship you on a destroyer blah 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 so i'm like oh this shit cool and then I find out it's a lot of politics that, that go with the Navy. And if you don't know how to necessarily navigate that, you will definitely not make it Like in the military. I don't know about how it is in other branches, but it's a lot of politics. I had, had no idea until like, maybe like, honestly, maybe like three years ago. That's when I realized the importance of like the politics or whatever. But yeah, yeah like I it agree. was like a it was like a kind of a tougher transition actually being on the ship and actually like seeing like okay why is this person you know leveling up and this person is still right here like I had to you know start putting two and two together I start to realize okay if I want to be successful I have to be able to adapt to my environment I can't just be you know laid back Emory all the fucking time i gotta be you know kind of intertwined with what's going on so i started doing that and i started seeing the payoff and i've been looking up ever since i agree it was the exact same way with me because i turned 21 when i was in a school so everybody already knows what that means like i could i could legally drink now and then i find out i'm going to the cbs so I'm like, oh, shit, you know, because I, I hear all these cool things about the CVs and I'm all excited. Like, oh, they get to wear different uniforms because we had the type threes before the rest of the Navy did. So I yeah. already find out, you know, I'm getting to wear the type threes. Everybody else is still in type twos. And I get there. And as soon as I check in to it, the CB command that I was at, it was NMCB 11 and it was in Gulfport. And that's where Fanning was. Uh, I had to do a month of combat school, which was a lot of fun because, you know, you read all the brochures and stuff. I mean, you think about joining the military, you want to shoot guns and blow shit up and run around with a vest on and stuff like that. So when you get to go do that right after joining the Navy, it's a lot of fun. So I had a real good time doing that, being so close to home. I got to see my wife pretty much every weekend. And the combat school was about a month long. And then once that was over, I left to go on my first deployment. So get done with combat school, hop on a plane, and I go to Spain for like five and a half months. And that's where I met Fanning. We were actually roommates on a deployment. I checked in at like 1.30 in the morning, and they were like, yep, this is your room. And he came out, helped me move my bags in. So that's when me and him first met. And... Yeah. uh you know, I get to Spain. It's my first time going to Europe. You know, it's my first time really ever leaving the country. And I get to, you know, I'm in Europe and I'm seeing all this shit I've never seen before. And, you know, the legal drinking age over there is 18 and alcohol is super cheap. So I'm just drinking my 
ass <laughs> off. I mean, I'm this shit is like college. I am partying every weekend. I'm, you know, staying out to because we had a four o'clock liberty. I would push that shit to the limit. You know, I'm partying, going to the club and shit, ha- just having a grand old time. And I'm making yeah. more money than I ever have before. Well, I started getting, you know, around some people that, you know, wanted to get in trouble. Like we were really pushing shit to the limit to where what ended up happening, every single friend that I had from that deployment, aside from Fanning, went to mass. Yeah. Like every one of my friends. And the only reason I didn't go was because there was one night I actually, my wife told me she was pregnant right before I uh, left for deployment. So after being there for a couple of months, it was time to figure out what the gender of the baby was going to be. And I remember me and a couple of my boys who went to the bar on base to go celebrate. Well, we get there, we're, you know, hanging out, drinking. And then my wife calls me and tells me that we're having a baby girl. And everybody's like, yeah, you know, ordering more drinks and shit. Well, it's like 11 o'clock and I'm fucked up, right? (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like, shit, I need to go back to the camp. So I was like, hey, I'm about, I'm about to go. So I leave the bar. I go, you know, get on the bus, and it takes me back to the camp. And I remember fanning whenever I walked in. He was like, you're going to go to mass doing this shit all the time. I'm like, no, I'm not, motherfucker. Leave me alone. Well, I throw up. I go to bed. Long story short, I find out that all the people that were with me all of them had been drinking. They went and signed out on the quarter deck. Even yeah. their non-drinking peer leader was drunk. And they went out in town on like a Tuesday night till like three, four in the morning and just got yeah. blackout belligerent drunk. They came yeah. back. Two of them signed in. One of them stayed out in town. Mm. So he didn't end up coming back till like seven o'clock in the morning and all three of them went to mass and it was an open mass and everybody had to watch it. And the entire time I'm just standing there in formation. Like the only reason I'm not up there with them is because I chose to go home. It was just like by some luck that I decided to go back and go back to the barracks. And uh, yeah, all three of them got busted down. So that was kind of a big eye opener for me because, you know, Fanning, he always was, you know, he did the right thing and he didn't, you know, he was all about getting his warfare pins and shit like that. So as mine and his friendship kind of grew, I started, you know, kind of following what he was doing where I, you know, on my second deployment, me and him were roommates when we went to Guam and that's when I worked on getting my warfare pins. And that's what, so like you said, you know, after a while of partying and realizing okay there's some politics to this i need to kind of rearrange the way i'm doing things that's what made me you know get to the next level yeah but it was cool you know the five years that we were in battalion you know i had a good time uh you know the field exercises like i've I've learned to miss it now because now i'm at a shore duty and it's a whole lot different than you know, anything we did in the CVs, even the way like the politics work, like I'm in a much smaller command, you know, I work for a captain now. It's just a, it's a big, you know, change in how things are done now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, you know, obviously, you know, you're doing pretty well as a rapper. For those of you that don't know, you have, you know, been putting out a lot of content on social media. You recently released an album. Tell me about that. Oh, yeah. So the album is called Hell King Emery. It was kind of like uh, basically like my first full-length album and shit. So I was just, you know, getting serious about it because I've been dropping shit and i just been like, you know, dropping it and listening to like, you know, what the critics got to say and shit like that. And then I started seeing my name pop up in articles and shit. Like, people would literally, like, write articles. And I, me, I don't feel like I'm doing nothing but just, like, recording and making music. But then I started looking at the analytics and, like, people from places I've never even been. 
like or listening to it and checked in with it. So I was like, okay. So it was initially I was initially gonna drop some shit on my birthday, which is July third. But I had a whole year to plan it out. And then I I told one of my homies, like in a group chat, I was just like, Yeah, I'm finna drop an album on July third. They was like, July third, that's a whole year. Who's gonna still be tapped in? I was like, All right, I'll move it up like a few months or whatever. So I moved it up to April third of this year. So the whole 2019, I was just dropping like little five track like EPs and everything, just trying to like keeping like people that still want to hear some shit, keeping them satisfied. While also like in the tuck, I'm making this like this album like some more serious shit. And this album was pretty much like ranging, like trying to see, you know, okay, what songs really like draw the biggest, uh, you know, rise out of people. Right. So you got like a little bit of everything. You got some R and B on there. You got some like street shit. You got some like conscious shit. I was just like trying to touch every base just to see, you know, what my sound should be. And for the most part, it helped me out. So this next project I'm finna drop is gonna be big. Yeah, it's like Very you big. it's like you learned what you could improve upon from your previous thing. Yeah. And it's a so, lot of um my bag on it. So were you, did you rap before you joined the Navy and it's something you kind of continued or is it just something you like started after joining the Navy? Is it like something that you've always enjoyed and then you actually like put like real effort into it once you joined the Navy or was it something you've always kind of done before? Well, yeah, I first made my first rap in like the eighth grade or whatever. Like it was like a project. Everybody had to do something creative. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to just rap about what the fuck happened about what the fuck happened over the summer or whatever. So I got in front of the, the class and did my little rap and everybody was, you know, jamming. And like, bro, I didn't know you could rap. And I, at this time, I didn't even know I could rap. So at this time, everybody was like, oh, that shit hard. Like, blah, 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 blah. Everybody hyping me up and shit. So I'm like, so that stuck with me. And then when I got like around, like in high school, I had this homie, B Sizzle, he was like rapping and shit. So I was like, hey, what software did you use? And all this other shit. Cause I was like, I'm finna try, you know, try my hand at it. I never took it serious. Like I was rapping, but I wasn't taking it serious. So I would do it. Then I come to school the next day and people would be like, you know, listening to it or sharing it around or something. So that's when I was like, okay, I, I got some. And plus, I played football, so maybe that helped, or whatever. But but yeah, people was like walking around, like listening to it and things like that. I became the rapper dude. So after high school, or whatever, when I did join the military, I ran into another person that make music or whatever. At the time, I was just at the crib making music, like on my laptop, on my HP laptop, just bullshitting or whatever. Then I ran into the homie. Uh, Rigo, and then he was like, oh, yeah, man, I found out this studio that he was starting to record it. So I was like, okay, well, let me pull up. Let me start doing something. We made, you know, a song called Let That Shit Ride. And then people, you know, in the military, obviously, they start, you know, jamming in, and then I start looking at the streams and stuff. I was like, oh, this shit is actually doing good. So that's when we just, from that point on, it just got kind of serious. That's what's up, man. I mean, I'm always seeing stuff that you're, you know, putting out content wise on your Instagram and on YouTube and stuff like that. You know, it seems like you're really dedicated to it. Yeah, I'm starting to, you know, get my knack for it. I think the only thing that really keeps me interested in doing it is the fact that people are interested in listening. Like I tell everybody all the time, if people stop listening today, I probably would only like make music for me. But as long as people are still demanding it and stuff like that, and as long as I'm getting streams and stuff like this, I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. I mean, and and too, like with music, even like right now with this whole coronavirus thing, like obviously you can't really perform live anywhere, but it's still something that you can do and create from the comfort of your own home even. You know, it's something that you can constantly work on and you make to put out for people because, I mean, people – I mean, it's not a secret to anyone. People are tired of this shit. They just want things yeah. to go back to normal. So if you can give them some bit of normalcy, 
and what's yeah. currently going on, people really appreciate it. Like I've been holding on to a, a set that I did back in November for weeks and or months even because I yeah. wanted to use those jokes for something bigger whenever it came time to like do a bigger platform. Right. And I think I'm just going to go ahead and release it because I have no idea when I might be able to do a theater again or yeah. you know, something like that. Like since all this happened, all the comedy clubs and shit shut down. Yeah. So that's pretty much where, you know, a comedian, that's where you really can test to see if what you have is funny. You have to do it in front of people. Like yeah. I can make, like that's where I think there's a big difference between like the world of comedy and the world of music because, you know, and I was speaking to another guy that I went to high school with. His name is Philip Towns. And, uh, you know, he pretty much said the same thing is that when it comes to music, you could create the beat, you could rap over it, you can make the song how you want it to be. And then you could just let people listen to it and find out if it's hot or not. And you kind of have yeah. an ear for it after a while. With comedy, yeah. there's no real way to do that unless you're doing stand-up in a club somewhere. Yeah. Like, I, re I really don't even like to do stand-up in bars because I don't like doing it in places where people don't know that it's happening. Like, in a comedy club, they know they're going to listen to comedy. If you go into a yeah. bar and somebody's up there on stage talking shit, you're like, <laughs> what the fuck is this dude doing? It just, it makes it for, it's weird. So that's yeah. one of the main reasons I moved out here to California, just because there's so many more opportunities here to get on stage yeah. until this whole coronavirus shit happened. Yeah, but I think you should go ahead and drop that set. I mean, people ain't got shit to do anyway. They stuck in the crib. I'm planning yeah. on it, man. I, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I paid a guy to record it and this was, you know, back in November that wasn't yeah. long after I got here and um, it's not the best. There's definitely stuff like when I watch it, I'm like, Oh, I should have done this differently or I should have done this. Cause I mean, it's a live performance. So when you yeah. watch it, you know, after you've done it, you're like, Oh shit, I messed that up or oh, I missed this word there and didn't get that big of a laugh. So there's always things. I mean, I'm sure it's the same way with a song. Like you'll listen to it and be like, damn, if I could, if I could add this there, that shit would be this much better definitely you know what i'm saying it kind of works the same way yeah so who are some of your uh like your biggest influences in music like who do you listen to that kind of makes you inspired to work harder and you know is that what kind what people do you listen to and that's the sound that you kind of try to go for well i always i always get asked this question it's like kind of a tricky question because it's like I don't listen to music with the same ear I make music with, if that makes any sense. So I don't try to like hear a song and be like, oh, I'm gonna make a song like that. I just like, I feel like my sound is unique or whatever. And I know a lot of artists probably say this, but to this day, I never heard of somebody that say, oh, that sounds like, you know, this guy or whatever. They just like, oh, that shit, you know, that shit hard. I never heard nothing like this. But as far as artists that inspire me, like, I like to listen to artists that's like kind of like, for lack of a better term, motivational. Like artists, like people like Meek Mill, like people that like speak to uplift or whatever. And not in, not in necessarily the traditional way, just like kind of like, um, basically that speaks to like kind of what I had to go through or where I come from and stuff like that. So I listen to people like Meek Mill or like Kevin Gaze, just to give you a brief summary. and. As far as like current times, I kind of started listening to a little baby a little more. Yeah. He's kind of hard too. So I just listen to people that I can relate to. Like if I turn on the music, oh, damn, bro, I remember I was feeling this way. Or, damn, I remember this happened to me. Or damn, I feel like that right now. Or, some shit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I first started really paying attention to rap when I was in high school. Like, because it was always, you know, through like seventh and eighth grade, you know, the biggest person to listen to at the time was Lil Wayne. And I feel like yeah. that brought a lot of white people into like liking <laughs> rap more, especially like in a place like Alabama where, you know, people's parents would be like, oh, we don't want you listening to that. Yeah. 
but you know, that's what was hot with, you know, the no ceilings mixtape and things like that dropping. I mean, everybody knew all the words to those songs. Yeah. And then I started following him a little bit more. And then, you know, I started listening to people I'd never listened before. Like I started listening to Notorious B.I.G. I started listening to Tupac and I got really into like early nineties rap. Cause I like, yeah. I like lyrics. You know, I liked it when somebody could paint a picture in my head while I was listening to a song. Yeah. So I was a huge fan of like Notorious B.I.G., Tupac, Wu-Tang Clan, KRS-One, all these like real lyrically intertwined rappers, obviously Eminem. You know, I don't like yeah. a lot of his stuff that he puts out now. I still listen to Relapse and shit like that just because I love that album. Yeah, and, that was uh, You know then these new groups started coming out and they kind of had like an old school feel to it. Like I listened to odd future when they came out, I was a big fan of like Earl sweatshirt just cause I liked how skilled he was lyrically. Yeah. Well then believe it or not, when I, I just graduated and Kanye West put out an album called Jesus. And I'd never really listened to Kanye before. And I remember listening to it and I just, all I paid attention to was the music production. I was like, this right. shit is unlike anything I've ever heard before. And then that's yeah. when I started paying attention to music for the music production. So like, like I, I liked Mac Miller, but when yeah. he, he kind of started coming to his own with his music production, like he, he actually started playing instruments on his songs rather than just using a regular soundboard. Yeah. And, you know, then it gave me a whole new appreciation for, you know, that frame of music as a whole. So like now I listen to so many different things. Like I like Lil Baby. I like Dub Baby. I like, you know, Travis yeah. Scott. I like, and I'm always, I like, I get on Spotify and I listen to rap caviar and just to see, you know, if there's anybody new that I can keep up with. Yeah. And that's, what's cool about being in the Navy because people are from so many different places, you know, and they'll put you on like, Oh, this dude's from Jacksonville where I'm from. And you listen to it and you're like, Oh, this shit's hard. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> there's so many artists out now that I feel like, I feel I was listening to something the other day. It was actually a podcast and uh it was Theo Vaughn and he had on uh Boosie on the podcast and he oh, asked yeah, he was like, you know, how do you feel rap has changed from when you first came in to now? And he said he feels like now it's less about lyrics, more about the melody. Do you yeah, kind of feel the same way? I mean in a sense, but it depends on what artist, what artist you're listening to. Cause like, it's always been like, okay, they're these type of artists, they're this type of artists and things of that nature. I don't necessarily feel like it's more, it just depends on what artist you're listening to. Cause there's a lot of artists still making conscious music. There's a lot of artists still like, you know, lyrical and things of that nature. It's just so many artists in this day and age that people kind of get hung up on like a certain artist because they try to look at it as, how it was like maybe like in the nineties and early two thousand when it was just like those couple artists that were like the main spotlight. Now I think with like social media and stuff, so many artists that people of a older age group, they still wanna look at like the the whole face of hip hop is like now like this one artist because this is the artist that I hear over and over. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you can't even really? gauge like what you're really hearing on like the hot 100 and stuff. Like yeah. all of that shit has gone to the wayside. Like there's people that I see on the hot 100 that I've, the only time you ever hear any of their songs is like on the radio. And it's such right. an edited watered down version. You really don't even get to hear the full song yeah. versus, you know, what, what's hot on like Spotify or even something on YouTube, like I feel like it's a completely different, you know, medium of that stuff is being put out. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, and that's with every aspect of entertainment. I feel like what we have grown to know is like, this is how you get big in something. 
and this can be anything as an actor, as a comedian, as a musician, as a rapper, any of that, the internet has completely changed how everything is done. Yeah. Like you can be on TV right now and it's not as big as being on a pop. Like if you right now were to get on the Joe Rogan podcast, yeah, that would be monumental. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. Yeah. And because that's bigger than being on late night TV, like you could perform on Saturday night live right now and it wouldn't be as valuable as being on Joe Rogan's podcast. And that's just because the internet has changed so much. Yeah. I think we're in a, a real weird time for entertainment as far as right now. Cause you got to think like everything, you know, rehabbing like right now we're just in a phase and a transitioning phase where, everything is going to literally go from TV to the internet. So after a while, all of like the traffic and all of the like distractions and stuff, I feel like it's going to eventually get weeded out. And then those like very popular, whether it's actors, rappers, comedians and things of that nature, it's going to start back to being like just all about them, you know, like it was like back then. I just think we're in a weird ass time right now. Oh yeah. Like this whole pandemic shit that we're going through right now. I mean, I've been seeing stuff on my Instagram feed where they're talking about save the stages and they want people to donate because a lot of these like big venues are about to go out of business just because they can't keep up with their payments for the facility because nobody's coming in to make shows. And we don't know when that will be, you know, because Every time we start to go up in a phase, we'll get cut back down again. Right. And it's it's changing the format of like everything. Like, you know, here we're here in California. You know, we're two hours from LA. Yeah. All the big comedians are talking about moving out of Los Angeles because there's no reason to live there right now. You can't get on a TV show. You can't perform in a big theater. So they're basically living in Los Angeles, paying some of the highest rent ever just to do a podcast. So I think there's about to be a major shift in where like the entertainment industry is centrally located. A lot of people are talking about Atlanta and Atlanta's kind of been hot for a while now, but ever since, you know, that Tyler Perry just built those studios not too long ago where, and he's, he's filming movies right now. Like he's, yeah. he's had all of his actors come in and they like live in a community right there on the lot for the studio. And they're, you know, they, he quarantined them, made sure everything was cool. And now he's filming movies right now when everybody else, all the big name production studios like Paramount and shit like that, they can't, they can't shoot anything because yeah. they're right in the heat of everything in LA. Yeah, that's crazy. That's why I feel like it's going to, when it eventually goes back to quote normal, it's going to be like a big difference from, you know, how it was before. I agree. I agree a hundred percent, man. Yeah. I never would have thought that this shit would happen. No, not in my wildest years. Even when it first started off and they first started talking about it, I didn't think it was, you know, that big of a deal. Not saying I didn't like, you know, take precautions, at the same time, I didn't feel like it was going to be this big of a pandemic and stuff. Yeah. I thought it was going to be kind of like the swine flu or, you know, these other, like, flus we done had over time. I feel the same way. Like, I remember my wife, she was watching the news a lot, and they kept showing it happening over there in China and Italy. And, you know, I was like, this shit's going to be dead before it gets over here. Nobody's going to care. You know, this isn't that big of a deal. And she was like, no, this shit's going to be bad. And I was like, no, it's not. You need to stop worrying. And then sure enough, it was like March 13th. I remember when it really seemed real to me was when they shut down the comedy store in L.A. (laughs) Like me and Fanning, we had gone to a show at the comedy store here in La Jolla. And it was weird because everybody was wiping everything down. But earlier that day, they announced that they were shutting the one in Los Angeles down. And I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. And at first I was like, this is a good thing because if that one is shut down, 
all the big name comics are going to come down here and do shows. It's only a two hour drive and they can make essentially the same amount of money. Right. But then later that night they shut that one down too. And now they're having shows outside. Yeah. Like they're just setting up a stage and setting up tables in this parking lot out back and people are paying to come watch, but you know, big name Kevin Hart's not coming to do some shit like that. <laughs> right. You know, like all these big name comics, they're, they're not going to do these little sidewalk shows. So a lot of them are losing a lot of money and that's why they're moving out of Los Angeles. Yeah. It's crazy. Yep. Do you see yourself, uh, like, are you planning on just kind of staying in and like just riding the wave until you get to a certain point or like, what's your plans as far as like getting out? As far as getting out, it's kind of like, mm, I'm 50, 50 in, 50, 50, 50 out. It's like, you know, I'm trying to, determine which is better for me and obviously whichever one is better for me i'm gonna you know go with that option but right now i haven't necessarily made up my mind i don't think i'm gonna make up my mind until like i got like 12 months left and i'm you know it's time to start planning but yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't really know i'm watching the forecasting of how this music go and how the world is at that time things of that nature my whole situation Yep. I'm in the exact same boat. Like my contract will end in 2024 and yeah. I'll have to decide a year out from that if I'm going to stay in. And, you know, originally when I first joined, I was just going to do five years and I was going to get out. I was going to get my degree and I was going to get out. Right. But then they started talking about reenlistment bonuses and, you know, I got a family and I was just like, you know what, I'll, I'll hang around for, a little while longer because I planned on doing at least three years. I was going to get through my shore duty, but yeah. when they started, you know, showing me the money, I was like, okay, I'll go ahead and reenlist for six. But you know, now if I decide to get out after this enlistment, I'll be, I'll be at 10 years in, I'll be 30 years old. The basically the way I explain it to everybody is I'll get out if it seems like, like you said, it's the best option. Like it would be almost yeah. stupid for me not to get out at that point. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm just kind of riding the wave. I'm, I'm seeing what happens, but at the same time, you know, I see a lot of people, they're like, Oh, I'm getting out in two years and they just give up. Like they're, they're, they don't <laughs> show up to work on time. They don't give a fuck about what their uniform looks like. Like they just, they don't give a damn. And, yeah. They don't make rank. They don't get good evals. So when it comes time for them to make a decision, they don't have enough money to set themselves up for success when they get out and they end up staying in. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, you could have been a second class or you could have been a first class had you applied yourself and you would have been in the best possible position to make a sound decision. Like, that's the way I always look at things. Like I just, I want to put myself in the best position so that I have the best options available to me when the time to make that decision comes. All right. You know I'm, I'm the saying? same way. I see that. I see that. I see it. Actually, I see it a lot in a reverse way more than I see it. People getting out saying, Oh, I got this plan. I got this plan. That's one thing that like weighs on my mind. Like I don't want to get out with certain plans and I know plans always don't go, you know, according to how you plan them. But I see a lot of people getting out like, oh, yeah, I got, you know, I got this going, I got this going. And then you get out and then they working like at Taco Bell or some shit. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So. And right yeah, now, I mean, I think, you know, me and you can kind of agree on like the military kind of pays for our dream in a sense. You know, right. like with your music, my stand-up comedy, like that type of stuff actually costs money to go do and right. to like really put forth an honest effort into it. And right now the military finances that. Right. Like I would have never, like as many times as I'm in a situation at work where I'm like, damn, I should have just gotten out. I think back like, well, I wouldn't live in San Diego if it wasn't for the military. I wouldn't right. be out here performing at the comedy store if it wasn't for 
staying in the military. I wouldn't have gotten right. the chance to go to Spain. I mean, where's some of the places that you've gone on deployment? I only went through two short deployments, but I went to, what was that? South Korea. I've been to Guam. I've been to Hawaii. You know, all the usual places. I went to Yakuska. I've been to Hong Kong. I've been to, yeah, I ain't been too much of, you know, traveling around because I haven't really been on, you know, deployment. But yeah, I haven't seen a lot of shit I, would, I wouldn't have seen had I not joined the military. Because before I even joined the military, I had never even really been out of Dallas. So even San Diego, even coming here to San Diego, it was new to me. Like even interacting with people from other, you know, cultures, it was like new to me. I was like in this confined box and what I thought like the world was. And it really opened my eyes to like, you know, certain people and certain things around. So yeah, military made it happen. It's the same way for me. I mean, I only went, I only went to two different places on deployments and my deployments were different than yours. Cause you're actually just there for the entire time. Yeah. It's not like you hop around, like when you're on a ship. So you know, my first deployment was to Spain and I stayed there for five months. And then yeah. I went to Guam twice during my time in the Seabees. And so I spent over yeah. a year there in Guam between two, six to seven month deployments. And I mean, I loved it. There's still a lot of places that I really would like to go visit. Like, like what was some of your favorite, like what was your favorite place out of everywhere you've been? Uh, hands down, it had to be Yakuska. Yeah. Yakuska, that shit was, that was amazing. And it wasn't like, you know, in some places it would feel foreign, but for the most part, it felt like, you know, just like San Diego. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't like, you know, it was cool. It was a lot of military. I guess that's what made it, you know, feel like, you know, more like the States, but it was, it was cool. We had bars, we was out drinking, they had clubs, they had like sites to see and things of that nature. I was just enjoying my time in Yakuza. That'll probably hands down be my favorite port. I feel the same way about Guam. Like everybody's like, isn't it different? And I was like, yeah, but at the same time, I mean, you can go to the mall here, you can go to the movies, everybody speaks English, everybody uses yeah. the American dollar. Like Spain yeah. was a complete different situation because yeah. like I learned so much Spanish in the time that I was there like if I had lived in Spain for that long I would be fluent in Spanish like I, yeah. I got to the point to where I felt like I could understand people I couldn't just speak it back to them does that make any sense yeah I guess but I mean I I had a blast while I was over there I got to go to a, like an actual bullfight me and Fanning went to an actual bullfight in Spain and that shit was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't stay in Guam for too long. I think I stayed for like max like two weeks combining both deployments. But I did have a good time. It was a lot of, you know, good times. I remember one specific time I had a LS2. He stayed out there. Like he's from Guam. So he had this um, you know, little get together at his crib and he invited me. I got to meet his family and stuff. We saw them cut like a pig. Like I had never seen that. That's just new to me. I saw them cut the pig, and it was just like a. It was just fun and games. Everybody was drinking. Everybody was cool. And yeah, Guam was was cool to me too. Did you go to any of the clubs while you was out there? Mm, I think I went to one or two strip clubs, but I don't think I like. I don't think I was out there for long enough to like really like explore like that. Yeah, because we, used we had to... the Liberty Buddy system, and we had my bad. I mean, you go go ahead. But we had the Liberty Buddy uh, system, and most of the time we were there, it was curfew and things like that. So I just didn't want to put myself in a situation where I was gonna miss curfew or something like that. Yeah, there was this club there called the Globe, and it was always a hit or miss with that place. Like my first appointment, yeah. it was just it was like whatever because. You know, Guam being such a big vacation spot for Asia, like Guam is essentially Asia's Hawaii. So you see a lot of people from like North Korea and shit in there. 
and that's the music they play in the clubs. Like it's all like techno music and they all just like jump in the air and do like this the entire time. <laughs> yeah. So we go up to the DJ and be like, Hey, play some, play some real shit. And they'd be like, no, sorry. It's all techno music tonight. And we're like, what the fuck? Cause don't nobody want to dance to that. Right. Well, there'd be some nights you go in there and it'd be primary military that was in there. And then you could go up to the DJ and be like, Hey, play fucking three, six mafia or something. And yeah. everybody, man, we'd be in there tore the fuck up having the time of our lives. Like I took Fanning for his 21st birthday to a Trinidad James concert. Oh shit. Yeah. And, and he, yeah. And he had a oh, fucking man. blast. Like we got up on stage with him. We was up there, you know, when he was singing, uh, Sorry, these neighborhood kids are out here screaming, acting the damn fool. Anyway, <laughs> it's all, it's all, but we got up on stage with him and shit. Like, I have videos and stuff of us dancing on stage with Trinidad James and shit. Like, damn, we had I a blast. <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to think, man. I don't think I got any more questions for you. You got anything for me? Oh, yeah. Like, what, what started you with this uh, comedy shit? What made you start taking it serious? Well, so uh, when I was in high school, um, I took a theater class. I wanted to be an actor originally. And when I was taking that theater class, um, we had to do this competition every year where you go up there and you perform a scene. And I could never find a scene that I really like had interest in doing. So I wrote one it was a comedic monologue. Right. And then my theater teacher, you know, told me he was like, I actually did a podcast with him. It was the one I did previous to this one. Um, he was like, Hey, you're really good at like writing material for you to perform. And then it all just kind of started to make sense. Cause I'd grown up loving watching stand up comedy and all these big comedians like Jim Carrey and, always been a huge fan of Dave Chappelle. And then it kind of dawned on me right as I was graduating, like, you know, maybe I should try to do comedy. So as soon as I got out of high school, I went and I did my, I did my first set. I went and did an open mic in Birmingham, Alabama. And that night, my first time ever on stage, I ended up beating 15 other people. It was a competition. Man. Yeah. So I was like, holy shit, you know, like I might be okay at this. And then I did a couple of more here and there, but you know, being in Alabama, there's not that many opportunities to do stand up. So I did a couple more. And at that point in like November of 2012, I performed uh, on the main stage in that comedy club, which seats about five, 600 people. Yeah. And I ended up coming third in that contest. Uh, the host of that show is actually uh, Funny Man, Jermaine Johnson. He's like real big in the college football realm and stuff. He's like a celebrity in Alabama, essentially. Yeah. And um, believe it or not, after that show, I was like, you know, I'm going to take some time off for the holidays. And a couple of weeks turned into a couple of months. And then before long, you know, I'm working all these different jobs. I, I was a radio station DJ for a while. And then I did that for like a year. And mm -hmm. I just, I never really started to get back into it. So that's when, you know, I'm doing shit I shouldn't have been doing. You know, it, I was kind of at like a crossroads in my life where I was like, look, I got to do something different. And that's about yeah. the time I started talking to the military decided to join and I was actually I didn't think about getting back into it until I got back from my first deployment I think my mother-in-law she was watching one of my old videos and it just kind of was like what what happened to that you know like I was I was doing it so well and I really enjoyed myself like now I have I'm financially stable enough to where I can go do that without having to worry about you know making money here or making money there so you know, I would pretty much the only times I would do it was when I was in Homeport and I would go back to that same club. I would go home on leave for like two weeks and I'd go back to that same club that I'd started in and I would just do open mic there and I'd do it like 
once or twice a year at most. Well, I did it a little bit more. I did it here and there in Mississippi. And then, you know, I, I kept working at it. I kept trying to write jokes and like put together something good. And then when it came time to, you know, leave Mississippi, I was like, well, now I want to take it to a next, a new level. I want to go somewhere where I can actually get better. And that's what led me to come out here. When I got to California, that's when I really felt like I was starting to take it seriously because I had so many more opportunities to do it. Yeah. I actually took a class when I first got out here just to kind of get me back into the swing of things. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, they were just beginning, they had never done it before. And when I told them, yeah, I've been doing this since I was 18, they're like, Oh, wow. And, um, it was like a six week long class. And I learned a lot. Like everybody that taught the class, they're like professionals. That's how they make their living. And, um, you know, since then, the holidays are always real slow. But I really set like a lot of goals for myself for this year to, uh, you know, really make some leaps and bounds. And like, really, the main focus has been less about like, you know, making money or getting big. It's just all about improvement just getting better so that when the time comes for some money to be made, then I can, you know, do what I need to do when that time comes. Right. Since then, you know, I've I've performed at the comedy store. I've performed at pretty much every comedy club in town. You know, I back in February before all this shit happened, I performed in front of my biggest crowd and that was here on Coronado. I did a talent show here in town and, I ended up performing in front of like 800 people in a sold out theater. And it was broadcast live on like three television stations here in town. But then this whole fucking coronavirus shit happened right when yeah. like some big things were starting to happen. Yeah. And uh, it pretty much just, it put a stopper in everything. Like all the comedy clubs shut down. And then it's like, okay, well, I can just work on material and keep writing. And that's pretty much what I've been doing since all this shit happened. I'm not killing myself to get to these shows that are, you know, outside or anything like that. I just don't really, I don't really see a point in a lot of it. I'm not saying I'm completely against it, but, you know, I can't really advertise it to people like, hey, come see me. I'll be performing outside next to the trash cans and gas lamp. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. I feel it. But it is what it is, man. You know, I mean, I just, I hope eventually everything does go back to a semi case of normal. And then I'm just going to see what happens from there. Yeah. I feel it. But yeah, right before we end, I'm going to let everybody know that we got Money Making Nation. It's official. So if you got some talent out there, we could put you, you know, on the payroll and we can start getting some people, uh, you know, a little notoriety. My thing is, if it, even if it ain't me that, you know, make this shit, you know, go, it's going to be, you know, somebody under me, if that makes any sense. So we're going to have people, you know, we're going to have all kinds of artists and shit. It's not just strictly hip hop or nothing like that. We finna, you know, make this shit go. Bro, I need to come up there. Me and Fanning going to come to the studio with you one day. Yes, sir. I'm trying to come well, up look. in that bitch. I'm gonna go up in there. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna lay down a freestyle or something. <laughs> yes, sir. Let's you don't, think, Let's you don't think I got it like that, man? You probably do. You have to you see. We'll have to see. Hey, I'll man. get in there, get to sipping on some some whiskey or some shit, start acting up, and we'll just yes, put a sir. beat on and see what happens. Yes, we'll sir. film you the whole to. thing, put the shit on YouTube, do it all. Yeah, we got to definitely. Well, hey, yeah. man. I'll tell you what, I've really appreciated sitting down and talking with you today, man. And, you know, anytime you're going to the studio or something, let us know. And me and Fanning would be more than happy to go with you. I, I love that shit. So yeah. I, I like just to, even just to watch the process of how music is made. I love all of that. So anytime you want us to swing through, you know, just reach yeah. out and we'd be more than happy to be there. Yeah, I appreciate you for having me. You know, I see your podcast, you know, it's gaining some legs, getting some steam behind it. So. I appreciate you for having me on this show. Real talk. I appreciate it, man. Well, hey, you take care of yourself and uh, hit me up sometime. We'll get on Warzone or some shit. Yes, sir. You already know. 
All right, man. We'll holla at you later on. All right, man. Once again, a big thanks to King Emery for sitting down and talking with me today. Uh, it was great to catch up with him, and I'm hoping to hang out with him sometime soon. But hey, if you want to be a guest on this podcast, hit me up. Hit me up on Instagram. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on Facebook. It doesn't matter. Just leave comments in this video. If you like these videos on YouTube or you like listening to this podcast on iTunes, let me know. Write a comment. Review it. Subscribe. Something. Let me know that you guys are listening. That's how this thing continues to grow. Once again, I appreciate you guys listening, and I will see you guys whenever I see you. Y'all take care.